This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to the fifth season finale of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And uh, Max had to go down to engineering to try to fix the warp core. And, yeah, it's leaking um, again. It's such a drag. I know. Do we have a warranty on that thing? <laughs> I don't know. So we'll see how it goes, but uh, he can't come out right now. Because if he opens up the door, then he'll flood the whole compartment. So, <laughs> so whatever. What can yeah. you do? Oh, These well. things happen. Anyway, we're here to recap our series on Leonard Nimoy, where we're looking at all of his uh, starring roles on television, both fiction and non-fiction. So uh, let's just get this thing started. The very first starring role on television that he had was on Star Trek. 1966 to 69, uh, he played Mr. Spock, and uh, yeah, kind of the face of that show. So what, what do you think about his, his uh, work on Star Trek, the original series? You know, uh, made it work, was the perfect uh, foil for Shatner, and you know, their natural chemistry, along with DeForest Kelly, I think uh, carried everything through. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, I think we've pretty much said, well, we haven't said all there is to say about his performance because it's extremely complex and everything like that. But, you know, he he made Spock what he was, and by extension, he made Star Trek what it was, or what it is. Yeah. So without Nimoy, I mean, who knows what Star Trek would look like without Leonard Nimoy, you know? I, I don't... Yeah, I don't think it it has the longevity that it does. You know, all due respect to Shatner and everybody else that was on the crew, but I, I really do think that Nimoy was the fuel that, that kept it moving. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's not to say that Star Trek would have the longevity that it does if there was Nimoy and no Shatner either, you know, but it was like the perfect mm-hmm. combination of elements. And this is actually something that uh, we talk about on this week's upcoming episode of Standard Orbit. We uh, do a, um, a a what if kind of thing. What if the cage had been picked up by NBC? You oh know? wow! And that yeah. was what the original series was, and it would be different. There's a lot of lurking variables. Nimoy is there, but that Spock character is going to be completely different because number one is going to be the Spock character, and he's yeah. going to be the crazy alien, you know? Oh, that's true. Who's saying, the women! <laughs> that would be his catchphrase, I'm assuming. <laughs> now I want that as a sound drop. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that was his first role. Obviously, it, it made him a star and everything like that, at least a, a television star. And uh, when the show was canceled, he very quickly moved, I'm assuming, right across the lot, honestly, to the other hit Desi Lu show, Mission Impossible, where he played Paris for seasons four and five of uh, Mission Impossible, and he was the master of disguise. 
Indeed. No. <laughs> so what did you think about uh, his performance on that show? I, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. And I, you can tell, I think, that Nimoy has a lot of fun with it because it's so different from what he had been doing. It really is an opportunity for him to, you know, show that he can be somebody other than Spock. You know, he's sort of like got a hippie vibe in the uh, in the show, or at least a semi beatnik vibe. You know, very sort of smooth. He's mellow. He's you know, I never really understood the the Spock sex appeal thing uh, until I think. I saw his chemistry really come alive rewatching the Mission Impossible episodes because he really does have that sort of natural charisma that just sort of oozes out. And I think that character gives him a real opportunity to, you know, whenever he he uh, interacts with Leslie Warren, later Leslie Ann Warren, um, you know, the, you know, there, there's an actual layer of, you know, dynamism between those two characters. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I, I think that he's he's really good on the show. I think that it was a really smart career um, choice because of uh, the the very specific performance which he had to give as um, Spock. You know, it's yeah. it's very very. Um, I'm not going to say one note, but. There's like almost like this sort of tunnel vision to the character, which sure. he needs to keep up for the entire show. Whereas, you know, if you're playing someone with emotions and everything like that, there's a lot more range as far as, you know, like what the character is, is doing in a sense, you know, like internally speaking. You yeah. know, the whole thing about Vulcans is they're keeping all of that bottled up, you know, so it's sort of like he's like a, a master of subtlety when it comes to playing Spock. But here on Mission Impossible, especially the fact that he was able to play a wide range of characters, it sort of like allowed him to explore all of uh, humanity in a sense, you know? Sure. Um, and and th that was really sort of, I think, beneficial to uh, to him as a performer because it was able to sort of showcase his talents beyond those of Spock and uh, helped to make sure that he would not be typecast in that role any more than is, you know, natural. Uh, and, you know, I mean, hey, he does a great job. You know, I mean, like we talked about, you know, when I was watching that first episode with him, I was like, wow, it's so weird to see him act like a human. Yeah. That's crazy, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I can kind of see what you're talking about with the sex appeal, although, um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, the, the, the sex appeal of Spock I can definitely um, see as well. You know, I mean, my, my wife is just obsessed with him. And did you ever huh. uh, hear that, that Mindy Kaling quote about Spock? No, I did not. She said, Girls like Spock because Spock's like, logically, I should not feel love. And we're all like, oh, yes, you will, you little hot Vulcan bastard. Uh, well, there you go. I can see uh, that. Uh, you know, uh, I guess the, uh, you know, the forbidden fruit sort of thing, I guess. You yeah. Know, like that he's smart, he's capable, but he's, you have to, you have to work to win his affections. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Okay. All right. <laughs> anyway, um, the 70s were kind of a uh, 
a, a dark time to be a, a Star Trek actor in a lot of ways. You know, this was sort of the time when, you know, the, your your prime time success was gone, and there were a couple of years there before it had picked back up again and you were shot into like superstardom and you all became millionaires and all that stuff and there was yeah. those those couple years in between where there was just like slim pickings for star trek actors you know <laughs> they were lean years yeah. <laughs> and and sort of an oasis in that storm when and and kind of a sign of things to come was the animated star trek series which aired in the 70s and this was uh, where Leonard Nimoy became a, a uh, regular star for a third time, returning to the role of Captain Spock. No, oh, I'm sorry. He was Commander not Spock. captain by then. Yeah, that's You're right. right. Commander Spock. Um, and uh, he was uh, still still doing his thing. I mean, what what do you what do you think about him on that show, and more specifically, his involvement on that show? Well, I mean, you know, it, it's uh, everybody knows the behind the scenes part where he, he fought for uh, his co-stars to be paid equally and to include them, uh, you know, as as part of the effort. But it, the animated series is really interesting because he his delivery, his vocal performance is every bit as serious. Like he didn't he didn't approach it just as a lark. You could tell that. Leonard Nimoy, the professional actor, showed up on set, or rather to the recording booth, to deliver those lines. He was he was still playing a character, whereas because I think that in the seventy animation is a different animal now than it was then. You know, like it it wasn't regarded with the same sort of seriousness and respect for voice actors back then by the general public, at least, as it is now. But he still brought to that role that sort of sterling professionalism and performance that you would expect from any other on-screen performance from him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to kind of build on that, you know, to me, like, the fact that people like Leonard Nimoy were even willing to do this show sort of lends credibility to it. You know, I mean, most of the time you hear about animated versions of television shows or movies or whatever and you're just like oh well of course there's an animated rambo <laughs> show i mean that one's kind of weird but there was an animated rambo show right <laughs> yeah i think so there did were... you ever see i don't i don't know if they were that they did tests i know that they did like storyboards and stuff for the animated alien show which was going to be on please Saturday uh, mornings. It, it all begins and ends with uh, the mr t cartoon okay. show from the 80s for me so fair enough fair enough that guy's amazing yeah. apparently mr t was shooting an episode of um uh what is it extreme makeover home edition across the street from my parents house what and no one bothered to tell me this that's that is that's wrong that I is know. absolutely wrong meeting mr t like that's wow that I would be so I would hold a grudge for many many years about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you don't take these things seriously, you know. You just don't, and yeah. you don't. You definitely don't expect them to get the original actors to come back and do the voices. I mean, that's not happening. Mm -hmm. And here they got basically everyone back. You know, 
and to do a show which it doesn't even seem suited to a Saturday morning cartoon, really, you know? Well, yeah, it's very it's very lean uh, mm-hmm. compared to the original show because they're only half-hour episodes, but there are actual episodes of the animated series that I think are, they benefit from the 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 streamlined approach to it because there are, there are plenty of original series episodes where the B plot is kind of like, ugh, ugh, okay, guys, come on. Yeah. And so I, I think there are instances of the animated series sort of elevating itself by having just that that straight shot, streamlined approach. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I mean, I can't imagine half of these episodes being any longer than they already are, yeah. uh, because that would be intolerable. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but no, I mean, like just the fact that everyone from Gene Roddenberry and all of the writers and everyone just came back and they're like, we're doing this for real, guys. And, you know, I, I think that, I mean, people tend to dismiss it already, which is weird to me. They should dismiss it because it's bad, not because it's animated. But people would dismiss it even more if they didn't have Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner. Oh, sure. You yeah, know, if, if, if they just got like, you know, just regular voice actors in, you know, uh, so, Lorenzo right. music. Oh, uh, well, OK. If everybody sounded <laughs> like Garfield, maybe maybe the show actually is better. But that's your sort of exception that proves the rule right there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- Everyone knows that I hate that show with a passion, you know? Shame on I just, you. I just do, except for yesteryear, which I think is better than most episodes of the original series. But, you know, I love the fact that Nimoy is on it, and his performance really sort of does add to, to the legitimacy of it. And I will, to the day I die, defend the canonicity of that series. The, okay, so even though you dislike it, you insist that those plots apply. They are yeah. just as valid as the original series. So in a sense, absolutely, we got our five years. I've said this on numerous occasions. There you go. Yes. I endorse your opinion. Thank you. I'm, Thank I'm you. in your camp, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, after that ended, still a dark time for Star Trek. Uh, the movies hadn't hadn't picked up yet, and Leonard Nimoy, uh, probably based on his association with uh, Star Trek and and the otherworldly, uh, decided to take on the role as the host of In Search of, yes. a documentary show, documentary show about. Um... Don't make the air quotes. <laughs> okay. That's dismissive, there... man. They were talking about important things. All right, all right, about the unknown. You know. The yeah. great mysteries of the world. Um, what did you think about uh, his involvement with that show? Oh, there's a little nostalgic couch set up where uh, <laughs> little little inner John sits there and watches those repeats in his brain every so often, learning about Bigfoot, hmm. learning about uh, Jack the Ripper. Yeah, uh, I, I know I went on and on about that episode. Please, somebody, <laughs> please just go watch it. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's so wonderful. I need to uh, watch the Jack the Ripper episode. It's yeah. it's just fantastic. I mean, it it's everything that was, you know, uh, everything about the seventies is just encapsulated in that show. Not just the, you know, the, the sort of sense of of style, but just the sensibilities that there, there's this real 
you know, in the late seventies, there was this real sense of wanting to go out and explore. I mean, from, from my point of view, I mean, I, I was a little kid, so maybe that's the, the synaptic, uh, correlation in my brain is it really, uh, you know, magnified it, all of those sort of senses of, we don't have all of the answers and, you know, we are still in search of everything. And I mean, you know, the Bigfoot craze was, you know, that, that was huge. And investigating these things, I mean, it, it's almost mind-blowing to me that now everybody just sort of doesn't care about Jack the Ripper. Everybody really cared about Jack the Ripper back then and Man. trying to solve that mystery. And so, I don't know. I Like, there, there's, I think, sort of the nostalgic appeal of it is the fact that the whole premise of the show is to dismiss the idea that we can or have answered everything up to this point. And I think that really makes it fun. Yeah, since it wasn't a part of my childhood, I don't have the nostalgic feel for it, but I can totally see how 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 you do, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I can I can appreciate that. I certainly have that for other things uh which are similar to this. And um I mean rewatching it, it's like uh you know, it it asks some questions. Some of them may not be the best questions to ask, but uh, you know, I give it props for asking those questions. It's goofy, but that's part yeah. of the charm. Yes. You know, and and perhaps uh, some of of the questions that it asks will, um, you know, cause people to investigate further and find some real answers instead of the ones that that they give at times. Well, and keep in mind that it did spur its own imitator show, uh, uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, hosted by Jack Palance, or Palance, or I can never yeah. pronounce his last name properly. But, yeah. you know, so that was, in a sense, its own sort of competition. It, it gave birth to another show. Sure, yeah. And and Nimoy's involvement in it is, is weird, but uh, I think like what Max was saying last week, you know, really is kind of true that, you know, when he says something, because it's Spock, like, you do tend to take that at face value. And yeah. uh, <laughs> whether you should or not. And, uh, you know, that's that's interesting. It's even if it's if it may not be the best thing in the world, it's like interesting on sort of a uh, social uh, philosophical level, you know. But yeah. uh, it's it's curious. It's curious, and uh, you know, an interesting an interesting experiment. Yeah. Um, now the question is, does it hold up? If you were to return to that premise twenty years later and do another show called Ancient Mysteries, which was also hosted by Leonard Nimoy, <laughs> how how would that work out? <laughs> In search of the next generation. Yes. Although, actually, it's more of a Galactica 1980s sort of thing, because it's the same basic plot, only Lorne Green is still there, but slightly different. So, uh, sort of like that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to think of something that would be... Because Galactica 1980, it was still like a different premise and everything like that. This is just sort of more like, well, I mean, kind of like what they did with Mission Impossible, right? Where they brought back a bunch of the same people, or at least Mr. Phelps was back, right? When they returned yeah. in the eighties, I don't know. Kind of like what they're doing yeah, okay. with with Coach now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
<laughs> exactly. Well, does like that, that mean we're due for a renaissance? Like, are, is it in, is it time for in search of ancient mysteries? But see, you can't call it that because that was the name of the first movie which spawned in search of. Ah, bummer. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to brainstorm. Yeah. Figure out a, a, a next version of it. Yep. Uh, but, uh, you know, this was a show, Ancient Mysteries, that Leonard Nimoy hosted in the 90s. And, you know, things were different this time. Uh, for one thing, it was on a network which uh, maybe was a little more mm, legitimate. No. <laughs> I, I, no. It, it, I, I, think, I think I said this when we, when we focused on the show. But the, the 90s, when the cable boom came, there were a whole lot, you know, as... Bruce Springsteen sang 57 channels and nothing on. There was a whole lot like people had not uh, understood that they had to fill the time that they suddenly had. Mm -hmm. And so I think that gives birth to a show like Ancient Mysteries where like it's like in search of only an hour long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We got to we got to hold a plug. That's good. Yeah. But the thing which which is weird about it in terms of Leonard Nimoy and his performance is that now. I think the perception of him uh, changed. It changed in the 90s, you know, where, as before, Leonard Nimoy was a guy who used to be Spock. By the time you get to the 90s, it's like, that's Spock, you know? That is, that's him, that's his persona. And as as opposed to it being like, hey, you know, kind of like a thing where it's like, oh, throwback you see the crazy alien dude is now talking about aliens now it's like it's spock it's spock and that's something to be taken seriously that's really that's really a fair point because i was of an age when in search of was on and even when you know when it was being repeated on saturday afternoons or whatever where i didn't come to star trek until after i had seen in search of Mm -hmm. so i i was of the age where i you know too young to see the original run of Star Trek, but, you know, old enough to catch it when it had its resurgence with the movies and everything. So, yeah, I I mean, like, my reaction to ancient mysteries would have been along those lines of, like, you know, that sort of ingrained its Spock, whereas I didn't have that the first time I was watching it. And I think kind of subconsciously, Nimoy had that going on as well. Where, you know, as before, it was like, I mean, who knows? This is all speculation, but it's like, you know, in search of is a job, which I have to do because, you know, I'm not getting a bunch of, you know, really fat residual checks. Now he's like, I'm Spock. And if I want to do ancient mysteries, I'm going to do ancient mysteries because I'm Spock, you know? (laughs) And you you do, I mean, in the few episodes which I've seen of each, you do kind of see a bit more confidence in him, in ancient mysteries, at least to me, you do. I don't know whether I, it's just I, that I he was having more fun, you know, or what. But it, it was—I don't know. It, it's subtle. And maybe it's just my perception. Maybe it's just a, a you know, um, a result of the uh, the sort of like um, uh, aesthetic of the time period or something like that. But that's the impression that I got. I don't know. I think it's a fair read. Okay. So that was it. Uh, just five shows. Star Trek, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, In Search of, and Ancient Mysteries. So looking at that uh, filmography, your TVography, telegraphy, um, what, what, do you, uh, what conclusions can you draw? 
Uh, I think that I'm really glad that we came back and revisited all of these things because it was so easy with Nimoy's passing to simply say, oh, it's Mr. Spock. But to revisit this, he really, he left a mark that was, you know, simultaneously he was unable ever to escape Spock in a sense, but at the same time, I think you can also see in the trajectory of his career, even with just these shows, his growing, uh, you know, to borrow from you, his growing confidence, but also the mark that he left in such a bigger sense than just being that character from Star Trek. You know, I mean, you know, we haven't even talked about like, you know, smaller stuff or directorial, but like just if you just take these TV shows, here's a guy that made a real impression in a bunch of different ways, not just as that alien with the pointy ears on that cult show from the 60s. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And, you know, when when I was first, you know, kind of researching this to put it together, and I was like, well, we need to do what he did as a TV star. And I was expecting a bit more, honestly. I thought in a career that spanned, you know, 50 years or whatever, we were going to see a couple more shows in that time. Mm-hmm. But really, I mean, there's it, it was very sort of lean in that aspect. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he did so much else, you know? He didn't just settle on, you know, acting for television. You know, he obviously did acting for the big screen, and there's a lot of, like, guest-starring things. You know, he was never willing to just settle for one thing and just ride that out for as long as he could. Even with Star Trek, he didn't do it. I really get the impression that every time he came back to Star Trek, it was because I have something else that I want to do, you know? And, yeah. and I, I, um, you know, you can take that outside of the acting, of course, as well, and look at, like you were saying, his directing or his photography or his music career. Don't forget about the legend of Bill Bo Baggins, you know? Who can? Who really can? <laughs> and I, I will say that his version of If I Had a Hammer has a real special place in my heart as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I mean, that that's, that really kind of speaks to to him as as sort of an individual and his creativity and everything like that. And I think that, you know, you can look at his television career as sort of a uh, a microcosm of his career on the whole, you know, where sure. he's he's doing, you know, live action, he's doing animation, he's doing, you know, hosting of quote-unquote documentary series or whatever. And uh, it's really kind of cool how diverse it is. So, yeah, I'm I'm really glad, too, you know, like you were saying, that we were able to take a look at uh, his TV work and sort of uh, open up the scope of his impact beyond Star Trek. I guess yeah. that's what this show's all about. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Um, one other thing before we go. Don Mankiewicz, who is the, well, he was the writer of Court Martial, the original series episode. Uh, which was one of the very first episodes which I saw. Um, And one of my, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say it's one of my all-time favorites, but I think it's a pretty solid episode where Captain Kirk is put on trial and everything like that. Don Mankiewicz passed away um, earlier this week at the age of 93. 
Um, but beyond Star Trek, he had a, a really big career. He was an Oscar nominee for um, a movie called I Want to Live, which was directed by Robert Wise, by the way. Have you seen that movie? I have not. It's... I'm not going to go so far as to say it's good, but it's really interesting. It's basically about a um, a woman who's sentenced to death for murder, and she's basically saying, I'm innocent, you know? Oh, and wow. Um, you know, so you got that whole thing going on. It's very much sort of like anti-death penalty stuff. Uh, it's, it's really kind of interesting. I guess it's, I think it's based on a true story. I'm not sure. But the ending, like the, 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 most of the movie is just the sort of like weird melodramatic thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But then you get to the ending and like the last like five or 10 minutes become, well, I won't tell you what happens because I don't want to ruin the ending. But it becomes this sort of like procedural thing where it very coldly takes you through a process and it just kicks you in the gut. And it's really, really crazy. Um, it starred Susan Hayward. And hmm. uh, yeah, she, um, she won Best Actress that year. The year was uh, 1958. So this was pre-Star Trek. And uh, he was nominated for, for Best um, Adapted Screenplay, I think. He was also nominated uh, for a couple of em Emmys, one for Marcus Welby, MD, and one for Ironside. So, oh, wow. Uh, he worked on Ironside? Yeah. He, right. he worked He worked on everything. He worked on MacGyver. He what? worked on Simon and Simon. Oh, my gosh. I love that show. <laughs> he did a lot of TV as a kid. Mannix. Um, oh. And uh, uh, yeah, and and he worked on on Star Trek. He he wrote Court Martial. So uh, just wanted to to make note of that. He was you know a legendary screenwriter who not many people probably remember at this point, but I figured should definitely note his passing. So R.I.P. Don Mankiewicz. You'll be missed very much. Yeah. All right. Well. That's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Set this movie at the end of the five-year mission. Skip ahead five years, you know, kind of like Dark Knight or whatever, and then mm -hmm. say, okay, we've had all these adventures, blah, 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 and now... We're at the end. We're about to go home, you know, and it's been, a, you know, a fun time was had by all. Earl Grey. Again, you know, because it's January, my ship was shot beyond the bounds of normal interstellar <laughs> travel <laughs> to the center of the galaxy, but we were back in time for tea. The orb. They're, they're not even right. thinking about it at this point. Okay, how yeah, do we well, exactly. start the resistance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we do all this? Yeah. Because they yeah. have become comfortable with where they are and thinking yeah. that they're doing all they can, and yet right. we know, as the audience, that they're not. To the journey! I want you to say right now in front of our, our friends, okay, and in front of me and the Lord Almighty, <laughs> what is your favorite season? Okay, this isn't the favorite season. I want you to tell me what your favorite <laughs> season is. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel and Darren, promise we won't ever be like this. The Ready Room. So what's the deal? You know, does Tom have a dad we don't know about? 
Apparently. Because who <laughs> was this guy that he was remembering yeah, as his know, dad? Was that Nick Lacarno's dad? <laughs> that was Nick Lacarno's dad, yes. Commentary, Trek stars. But I mean, oh, here's yeah. the question, John. If, if you're living Fight Club, then, you know, we have to ask. If you could fight anyone, who would you fight? William Shatner. All right. Literary Treks. The main storyline here is the battle for the Vulcan soul. They're one of the most logical races, and yet they have an intensely spiritual aspect to them. Axanar, the official podcast. You were there. Mm. How long did we wait for them to try and reach that? Oh minute? man, it was it was it was at least as long as the Enterprise penetrating V'ger's <laughs> outer shield to getting into the actual machine core. The six oh two club. So, as far as the realism question is concerned, um, whether or not it's the right thing to do, it's the Marvel way to do it. I mean, I think that's the that's the defining difference between Marvel and DC. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find us on um, iTunes, Stitcher, Zoom, or Windows Phone, Podcast Directory, directory or you can uh, stream from our website. Just go to trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links. Um, we'd also like you to uh, support our sponsor, audible.com who brings commentary trek stars and all of our other trek fm shows to you each week and um you can get a free audiobook of your choice by going to audibletrial.com slash trek fm uh there's more than 150,000 titles to choose from you can get star trek books you can get non-star trek books you can get anything you want there um just go to audibletrial.com slash trek fm and sign up today and you'll get a free audiobook of your choice. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. And one more way that you can support us is by becoming a patron of the network on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. And you can uh, donate to the network and that'll help us, uh, you know, keep the show up and running. You know, uh, pay for the cost of the servers and whatnot. And and uh, there's there's different uh, re- rewards for donors at at certain levels. Um, it's kind of like Kickstarter, but on a monthly basis. Just go to Patreon.com/slash/TrekFM and uh, help us out if you can. We would greatly appreciate it. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. I hear that that actually is a big deal. That would help us out greatly. Yes. If, if, if you do that. So, so go ahead and, and do that. Uh, you don't have to like us, but yes, you, know. you do. We're okay. likable guys. Come on. All right. All right. We're very likable guys. <laughs> you like us so much, you want the world to know how likable we are. There you go. There you go. Uh, you can also contact us uh, more directly. You can uh, leave us a voicemail on the show page on our website at, at trek.fm, or you can send us uh, an email uh, through our website, or you can just email us directly at comtrackstars at gmail.com, or uh, you can find us on Twitter at comtrackstars. Uh, John, where can people find you? You can find me causing trouble on Twitter at Kessel Junkie, and you can also find me on a little show called Words with Nerds that airs every Thursday on iTunes and Stitcher and all the usual channels. Uh, host it with my buddy Craig, and uh, we talk about a whole mess of things. 
And you can find me on the network right here doing Standard Orbit with Drew, where this week we're going to talk about what would have happened if the cage had been picked up. Uh, you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do Commentary Trackstars Off Topic and Commentary Trackstar Babies with Max and Brandon. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. All right. I think that's it. I know I'm forgetting right. something. Maybe not. But um, uh, that's it for, for Leonard Nimoy. Uh, nice retrospective. And we will be back next week with James Kahn, the writer of Star Trek Voyager Season 7 and the Masterpiece Society from Next Generation, as well as the novelization to Return of the Jedi. Yes. And, and we'll be talking to him next week about all of his career. So be sure to check it out. 